the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 32 of Magic Markets. I'm your co-host, The Finance Ghost, joined as ever by Mohammed Nala of monos.com, and we'll get him to say something shortly. But before that, we've got our more important guest tonight, who is Tracy Davies of Just Share, who, like me, like Mo, like so many of you, I think, gets rather annoyed by bad behavior at big corporates. Tracy, that's, that's what you do, isn't it? You get annoyed. And with good reason. I do. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, we spend a lot of time um, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what the behavior is and how we can change it. Tracy gets annoyed with the JC. Mo just gets annoyed with me because I give him a hard time. But he's here tonight as ever. Hello, Mo. Ghost, Tracy, great to have you all on this, uh, this pod. Uh, let's have some fun. I mean, I think what we're talking about is so topical, so important. It's gaining traction globally. I mean, you know, investor activism, whether that's around just issues of sustainability or just good corporate governance, it's, it's so important. It, it surprises me that it's taken our industry, our respective industries, whether that's investment banking, asset management, that it's taken the industry so long to move from an era of window dressing and talking about it to realizing that the stuff actually does matter and that people are going to sit up, they're going to take notice when you're trying to cut corners, when you're trying to do dodgy stuff, and they're going to get angry about it. And sometimes those people are your shareholders or other representatives or stakeholders. That comes with repercussions. It comes with some sort of accountability. So Tracy, you're one of those stakeholders. And I think let's kick off with you telling us, telling the Magic Markets listeners what you do uh, why you do it, because I imagine that it's not the easiest thing to do every day. It's a little bit of a, a, I mean, it must be a huge passion of yours, or there's no ways you would do this. A little bit about your background, maybe just a couple of minutes to set the scene for us about who you are, what you do, and what Just Share does. Absolutely. So, yes, I'm the executive director of Just Share, which is a South African nonprofit organization. So, probably the first thing everyone wants to know is who pays our salaries. And that is, uh, we are funded by philanthropic organizations, mostly outside of South Africa, actually, um, but also a couple of them inside the country. Uh, So it's purely um, not-for-profit stuff. And we believe at JustShare very firmly that responsible investment is necessary and essential to create a more just and inclusive economy. And we hold shares in most of the, very, very few shares in most of the companies listed on the JSE. And we are constantly analyzing their reports, um, keeping up to date with kind of global best practice on things around climate change and inequality, and then really interrogating the difference between what these companies say about what they're doing and what they're actually doing, and trying to get particularly their big shareholders to hold them accountable for the gaps. And are you finding those gaps are everywhere? I mean, how bad is it out there? 
It's very, very bad. Put it this way. I'm not going to be out of a job anytime soon. <laughs> Maybe some other people should be out of a job sometime soon though. And that, that, that I guess is what you, what you spend your time focusing on. I mean, Mo, I'll be interested to hear your views because we obviously come at it from a, a very financial angle and goodness knows there's so much information to think about before investing in a company. And I mean, Tracy, I can tell you now that the investment decision doesn't always take into account page 105 of the integrated annual report. It just simply can't from a time perspective. So I think the work that you do is incredibly interesting and really useful because you're reading page 105. I'm not, to be honest. Mo, are you getting to page 105 before you're investing in a company? Honestly? <laughs> no, I mean, it, for me, I, I must say what's been a good development has been how a lot of global platforms are starting to incorporate page 125 uh, into their investor dashboards. So prior to recent developments, no, I would generally not get to that page. And I think more and more, I'm starting to see that on investor dashboards, on a lot of data providers, you're starting to get to the issues that you know are important uh, in terms of longer term sustainability, whether that's environment or corporate governance, or whether that's you know a, a director who's maybe sitting on too many boards and is too thinly stretched and can't fulfill their fiduciary responsibilities and more and more on certainly on, on, on some of the tools and the platforms I use that's starting to come to the fore I'm then able to calibrate that in terms of how I look at companies what's important to me and those then those flags then pop up automatically to me so I think that's a good development I must say one thing I don't do is invest in companies where I just get a, a management team that doesn't pass the smell test for me so I do not have shares in NASPAS process I'm sorry I'm not interested. It's cool. Ten cents, great. There's lots of other growth companies internationally that I find interesting. It's not for me. Um, and 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 look, I'll I'll be the first one to say I'm not always sure that that's for altruistic reasons. It's because I'm investing my money in these people. At the end of the day, um, I I mean Tracy, you'll be horrified to learn that I did make money off Sasol last year. But I must be honest, part of why I sold was a concern about the long-term sustainability of the business because the more I read, the worse it got. Mm. So I ended up leaving a lot of money on the table. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's Look, interesting. I think, you know, it's important to understand that I think a lot of people think that the work we do is aimed at kind of dismantling capitalism or making sure nobody makes any money. That's really not uh, not not what it is at all. As, as you guys will know, the whole kind of underlying rationale of responsible investment and integration of environmental, social and governance issues into investment decision making is precisely because we are now reaching a tipping point where, you know, we've ignored all of these issues in economic decision making since humans started making money. Right. And the impacts of ignoring those uh, environmental and social uh, kind of the harms really that our economic approach has caused to the planet are now starting to come back to bite us. And we can see that, you know, in all the kind of planetary crises that we face uh, around us um, across the globe. And so this is not, you know, it's not an altruistic uh, approach. It's a self-preservation approach, really. So, you know, a lot of people will see us as being, um, you know, accuse us of being kind of high and mighty or, you know, preaching or trying to, you know, impose socialism on the economy. This is all nonsense, right? This is about making the markets work in a way that allows us to actually preserve our civilization. And I know that sounds dramatic, but we are getting to that point now. Yes, it's not the quintessential Karen of the AGM, as I'm sure some of these directors <laughs> must have accused you of more than one. Oh, we get, yeah, we get lots of stuff. You'd be amazed. <laughs> I think the important thing for me, Tracy, is, is, is as you indicated, it's, it's really also about the narrative that is out there. I mean, there are very important vested interests. Again, whether we're talking 
any issue of sustainability, whether that's the environment or social or governance. And incumbents generally are, are individuals or institutions that have tremendous power, tremendous sway. I mean, there's, there's a great book, Ghost, called Dark Money, which, uh, which has a look at, um, at how... Uh, let's call them nefarious interests, if you want, uh, swayed the political narrative in the United States, particularly quite scathing against the Koch brothers of Koch Industries. Now, the fact of the matter is that that architecture, because of how capitalism has evolved over the ages, as Tracy has said, that architecture exists in every geography on the planet. And I think, you know, the way I see the work that Tracy does, certainly, or Tracy and her organization, affiliated organizations, is it's almost the counter-narrative. It's saying, what are you not being told? What's grabbing the headlines? And I'm very glad that, you know, we're starting to really get into the real world issues because, like you say, issues of sustainability are actually good for business. And this narrative that sustainability is socialist and, oh, you know, we're not about making money. It's, it's about, can we sustainably make money in the longer term. That's really quite important. I mean, something I want to pick up on, uh, some of our listeners uh, who, who do follow global markets will be aware of how there was a proxy fight in the US and where a very small group of investors uh, got board representation on, Exxon, on, on Exxon's board. Uh, now, that's fantastic. Tracy, is that the kind of thing that your group are looking at in South Africa? Because I see that as a, a very, very powerful mechanism. It's something I'd love to see a lot more of, just in terms of incentivizing and driving the right kind of behavior, the right kind of accountability. So I think the reason that that engine number one kind of takeover got so much attention was because it was sort of the holy grail of shareholder activism, right? You go right into the belly of the beast and you implant your own sort of, uh, you know, your your own minions in there. And, and that's how you, because everybody knows, and, and this is becoming, uh, you know, kind of globally acknowledged and accepted around the world that you're not going to persuade a certain type of executive to change the way he or she is. Obviously, it's normally he. Um, so if we really want change and if we want it fast, we've got to actually start replacing the executives and replacing the boards. So that is uh, an incredibly powerful and incredibly aspirational thing. I mean, it is quite interesting because people ask us all the time, you know, have you thought about doing something like that in South Africa? Engine number one spent 50 million rands buying their tiny stake in Exxon and then, another, uh, sorry, $50 million and then another $30 million fighting that battle, right? So the interesting thing about it is that it used, the, the it it, it sort of um, it it positioned itself on the intellectual edifice of shareholder activism by civil society groups on climate that has been happening for the last twenty years, and what it did was it overlaid a whole stack of cash onto that intellectual edifice and onto a a global um, kind of a zeitgeist where big asset managers are starting to understand that this is important. And those two things just came together in a very kind of perfect way. And so, yes, we want to see more of that. Whether I personally can affect that, not quite so sure about that at this stage. And Tracy, would you say that E in ESG has been the wedge? So it feels to me like the environmental stuff has been the focus for many and in that it kind of then opens up a lot more thinking around the s the g etc would you say that's fair comment or, or do you feel like it's kind of all equal no i think that's fair comment and i think the reason is because the e is the easiest excuse the pun really <laughs> to understand um but i i think it's very important to highlight that 
what's, what we also all have to accept is that climate change is not an environmental issue, right? And I think, you know, the climate activists of the 80s will acknowledge today that their biggest mistake was framing it as an environmental issue, because that is one of the core reasons why the financial sector has ignored it for so long. What's starting to happen now with things like the, the re recommendations of the task force on climate-related financial disclosures, where companies are starting to actually think about climate risk from a financial impact point of view, is that we're having we're getting a much better understanding of the fact that this is predominantly actually a social and economic issue, right? So the environmental impacts are going to happen. What we have to do is first of all try to try to contain them, and second of all, how do we manage the fallout on humans and the economy from from those environmental impacts? I actually want to leverage off that because I, I think that's so critical. It's it's not a it's not an, it's not a climate issue. It's not actually these are existential issues. Uh, and that's that's why you know for me it's it's so amazing that they get hidden in the annexures of financial reports and so forth is because if for example a company let's go back to the the Exxon Engine One kind of example an executive sitting on that board working in that company is never going to think about hey I'm making horse drawn carts but there's the motor car that's coming as as an analogy i need to fundamentally shift and change my entire business that's that's in effect ironically what these executives get paid millions and millions and millions of dollars to do is apply the long term strategic thinking say this is where the world is going this is where we're going how do we reorientate ourselves so that in 20 years time in 10 years time we're still relevant and we're still value accretive not just to our shareholders but to society as a whole and i think the framing, as you indicated, is just so important because going back to my example around dark money, that, that's effectively what lobby groups in the US, the Koch brothers, for example, had done is that they, they skewed the narrative, they threw a lot of money behind think tanks and academic seats and so forth. And it's, it's, for me, it's, it's almost enlightening to see the other side of that coin starting to wake up, to start to push back. Uh, the fact that there is actually money being thrown at this, uh, yes, albeit altruistically, I know there are a lot of skeptics out there saying, oh, well, it's actually just money from the other side of the coin, people who stand to benefit from clean energy, etc. I mean, what would your response be to that kind of counter-narrative, to that pushback? Because that's going to be this two and that we're going to be fighting with over the course of the, of the immediate term. Mm. Well, that's a, a really interesting approach. Of course, the the thing about oh, this is you know this is just about people with with a financial interest in clean energy because for the past two hundred years it's been all about people with a financial interest in fossil fuels and we haven't complained about that, right? So, um, and also, so what if they save the world with their clean energy? I don't care if they make money. Do you? I mean, it's just a it's just a vested interest kind of argument. You know, it it, it doesn't make sense and. And I will just also say that, that that dark money thing that you see so much of coming out of the US, and the reason you see so much of it coming out of the US is because there are laws forcing people to disclose it. It happens just as much in this country. It's just that there's no law requiring anybody to disclose that it's happening, right? So, um, and, and of course we have, on top of that, we have <laughs> the sort of apartheid edifice, which was set up precisely for that reason, right? So that business could have a massive influence on government. And then that is happening to this day. And it's part of the reason why we see such slow action in this country on, on climate change, for example. Yeah, so Tracy, I agree with you. There's nothing wrong with having the money behind the the sort of renewable. I mean, I have this very like, I don't know if it's a dim view of the of of the world or people, but I firmly believe that the number of people who genuinely act altruistically is tiny. Even if you go and do something truly great, and then you go post about it all over LinkedIn and put your brand on it, you are still 
not acting altruistically. You just aren't. You're definitely seeing that there's some personal brand uplift and the like. So I, I maybe take, you know, some of these dim views on things, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I agree with you. And I'm curious as well. I mean, another tough question is, is coal is very front of mind at the moment. So Anglo's just unbundled Tingela, had a horrible first day of trading, then it took off like a rocket because I think people have realized there's money to be made. Uh, Anglo's also just sold a third of its uh, Colombian coal mine and BHP off to Glencore, who make no apologies about their their coal position. I mean, Glasenberg cut his teeth on coal. Um, I was reading that in the Financial Mail last week. So I suppose I'm, I'm really interested to hear your, your views and I'll give you mine. So my view is long-term, we don't want to be burning coal. Short-term, if there was no coal, we wouldn't be having this call because there'd be no electricity in any of our, well, Mo, I can't speak for you, but Tracy and I would be in the dark. You might be <laughs> running off uh, exotic solar in the first world. I'm not sure. What's your view on coal, Tracy? I mean, there's got to be a practical view and there's got to be a, a, a sort of long-term view? Or, or how do you think about it? Well, I mean, the one thing that we're constantly countering in this work is this idea that if we switch off the lights, if we switch off all the coal-fired coal power stations tomorrow morning, the economy would collapse and we wouldn't have lights and et cetera, et cetera. Yes, of course that's true. Nobody, not even the most radical climate activist, is suggesting that we switch everything off tomorrow morning, right? The whole concept behind climate action is that it's a transition, and it must be a just transition that doesn't screw over all the people who are currently dependent on that coal industry, right? But what's becoming clearer and clearer is that the longer you leave it to start planning for that transition, the more dramatic and catastrophic it will be when it catches up to you. And it's going to catch up to us whether we like it or not. Gwedi Mantashi and anyone else, uh, Ivan Glazenberg, they can all pretend uh, whatever they want to pretend, this is now, it's written in stone. Coal is on its way out. And if the last 30 years of change are anything to go by, probably a lot faster than any of us, even I, think, it, think it's going to happen, right? So with all of these things, you know, the Tungela deal, um, it's, it's just, we're kicking the can down the road, you know, because what we need to really do with those companies is wind them down responsibly. Not sell them off or demerge them and walk away, because the real the real liability in those companies is is the rehabilitation when they're finished mining the coal, and that's when everybody will just want to walk away, um, and and that's that's the real you know the, we're now left. I don't know how much you've travelled around the coal fields of Mpumalanga, but it is an absolute travesty what we have done to that part of the world um, and yet that's going to be the place that's hardest hit by the transition because we're suddenly going to find that we've got hundreds of thousands of people with no work no viable agricultural land polluted water polluted air so we've got to approach these things uh, you know responsibly yes you can still make money out of coal in the foreseeable future in South Africa but if that's all you're worried about then you're missing a trick and you don't actually know what's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm so super glad that you brought up the whole mining rehabilitation thing. Because again, you know, given from, from my time at, uh, at one of the banks down in South Africa, we spent a lot of time helping mining companies provide for those extensive, and I mean they are really extensive and expensive mining rehabilitation liabilities. Uh, and, you know, with, with this Tungela deal, for example, it's one of the key points is that we're just kicking the can down the road, you know, well done on, 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 on hiving that off. It becomes someone else's problem, except it's someone else's problem until it's not. Uh, and, you know, going back to it, you know, I mean, you guys were laughing about, you know, switching off coal. Uh, here in Canada, they actually refer to electricity provider 
as hydro. It was the strangest thing for me. People were like, oh, you know, your hydro bill. And I'm thinking, is that my water bill? And it's not. It's actually your electricity bill. And that's because such a large proportion of energy here comes from renewables, from hydroelectric power. And South Africa is missing a beat here. I mean, I remember this goes back like almost 10, 12 years ago. We had a mining in Daba kind of conference. And I had raised the issue. I think it may have been Susan Sabangu at the time was the, the mining minister. Uh, Gwede was in there somewhere as well. We spoke about platinum and we said, why doesn't South Africa pull a Qatar? You know, Qatar had gas, which wasn't an economically viable uh, resource. And they built their entire gas to liquids. And I know it's a bad example for you, Tracy, but they built their entire gas to liquids industry on something by saying we're taking a 20 to 30 year view to create the technology of tomorrow. And South Africa can and should be doing that. I mean, only now are we starting to see hydrogen fuel cells coming back into the narrative. It's 12 years. We've wasted a decade. We should be throwing a lot of money into R&D, into new age industries. That's how you reinvent the South African economy and potentially turn it into an energy, a clean energy powerhouse. So that's the kind of thinking that I think Leadership is deficient. We've got non-exec directors that sit on boards that should be pushing the executives towards these decisions. Um, how do we catalyze those discussions again? How do we get what we're talking about here on Magic Markets into boardrooms and out onto front page headlines? Well, I think, look, I think I can't disagree with you that we've wasted probably more like two decades and it is an absolute travesty. Um, I think the I think the conversations are starting to happen, and I think that ironically, this car powership debacle has actually really helped bring those conversations to the forefront, together with you know the repeated rounds of load shedding and someone at the helm of ESCOM who's saying, actually, guys, we're not going to fix ESCOM. You need to start building other kinds of energy, or we're, you know, or this is going to go on in perpetuity. So, you know, this is a lot of the part of the work that we do. We try to we try to highlight the fact that if you want these in the corporates, and of course, this applies to government as well, but our focus is the corporate sector. If you want companies to be making the kind of decisions that take us forward into this future that you've been talking about, they have to be run by people who understand that. And that's precisely why engine number one did what it did, because they said, you guys on Exxon's board are not getting this. And so we're going to put someone else where you sit. And I'm sorry, but it's it's an undeniable fact that most non-executive directors and most, most senior management and non-executive directors in this country are people from a particular background, from a particular section of society. We don't have the diversity, never mind the race and gender diversity, we simply don't have the diversity of backgrounds and thinking and experience to manage this uh, this transition, you know, and it's got to happen fast and it's got to happen dramatically. And so I agree with you. I think we need we need serious changes and we need them at the top. Tracy, I just want to echo your point about the wrong people in the seats. So, I mean, you saw the article that I wrote this week, uh, which was I did. not holding back, which is something I try very hard with the finance ghost is to not hold back because there's too much of that going on out there. And I think a, totally lot, of, a lot of independent directors are frankly useless and are just paying lip service and collecting a board fee and, and off they go. It, it's as pathetic as that. Executive management prepares the board pack. They're not going to put the stuff in there that I want to know about as a shareholder. I promise you Marcus Yoster did not have slide three at start of, hey guys, here's where I stole all the money, but thanks, it's been real. That doesn't exist. And I just see it over and over again. I mean, the one that irritated me recently, which is probably, it's, it's probably slightly unfair on management because I believe in all other respects they're not too bad, but Omnia's results, they hid because there's no other word for it, this 
potential tax liability of 900 million rand, which is a lot of money for any company, let alone a small JSC company, in a footnote in the long form announcement when they made their financial announcements. And I, I made that the heading in Insconnect because I was like, no, I'm done with this kind of nonsense. This is the stuff that needs to make the headlines. I don't care how good their results were. They patently decided to rather shimmy this thing down the bottom in the hope that no one would get, you know, only Tracy reads those footnotes. So let's put it there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, luckily, you and Dave Hazelwood on Twitter, whoever that may be in real life, who <laughs> alerted me to it. And then it was, I luckily have the opportunity to then do something with it because I get to write the stuff that I do. So, you know, it's, it's so frustrating with governance. I mean, you must see it all the time. And what are some of the typical governance, just crimes against shareholders, business, and the country, not necessarily naming people unless you want to, but like the types of things you see. I'm, I'm almost more interested in the principle because there will always be the people, mm. but what are the things you look for that, that get your blood boiling accordingly? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, the interesting thing is that all the most important stuff is in the footnotes. Okay. And, you know, every time we have found something absolutely outrageous in exactly the way you've just described, it's been in a footnote or a triple hash or a triple star, you know, at the bottom of the bottom of the footnotes. Um, and, and the, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, a broad view that integrated reports are useless and sustainability reports are useless. No one reads them. That's where there is actually a huge amount of information in there. But what it tells you in many instances is how poorly how poor the governance of this company is, right? And how they are able to say things about how they behave, which on a very cursory glance are just complete nonsense, if not downright lies, um, you know, and, and we come across that every time we analyze a report. Um, it is it is really quite extraordinary. And the problem is that 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 they get away with it, right? We're, the, we're one of the very few organizations or individuals who actually says, hang on a second, you said that you did this in, in you know, the best, the best thing is target setting. Okay, I'll give you, this is my favorite example. And, and when it comes to climate change, right? So a company that shall remain nameless recently analyzed their reports, sets different climate change reduction targets in 2008, 2013, 2015, and 2020. In not one of those years did they refer to the previous targets or whether or not they'd met them. And in every single one of those phases, they use different metrics and baselines making it absolutely, completely and utterly impossible to track whether or not they had done this. Not only that, they recently won an award for the best integrated report. Okay. And guess who awarded that award? Ernst & Young. You know, I mean, just the conflicts and the, the conflicts of interest that nobody understands in the system are just a disaster. So there's just that level. I mean, surely if you're, if you're on the board of a company, you read the reports and you go, geez, guys, did we really do this? or, excuse me, probably can't swear on here, or damn, um, you know, why did we say this in 2015 and now we're saying this in 2018? Can someone check that for me, please? Because it seems dodgy. Like, nobody does that, right? And then when you, when you interrogate these things at AGMs, um, you met with one of two responses, either just the complete befuddled, like, we have zero idea what you're talking about and we'll get back to you in writing, or the arrogant, defensive, oh, but, you know, we do X, Y, and Z, and, you know, everyone's so brilliant, and we're so far ahead of the curve. And I just think, you know, I don't let, I don't let an intern put something out into the world without making sure that it's accurate, that we're happy with it, that it's not got any rubbish in it, you know. How are these companies putting out these vast swathes of information into the public domain? 
um, which are just absolutely riddled with contradictions, downright lies, misrepresentations, boasts that have no foundation in reality. And why are, I mean, I get what you're saying, you don't always have time, you know, asset managers don't have the time to do this, but they're now employing ESG teams. That's their job. You know, they should be reading these reports cover to cover and saying, and not only that, but as I say, if you see a target, you've got to go back and read the report from the previous year and maybe the reports from the previous eight years and you cannot believe what they get away with. So just at a basic, like checking what goes out into the world level, there seems to be a massive failure of governance. And that is indicative to me of organizations that don't believe that they're accountable, that believe that they can say whatever the hell they like about what they're doing. And the volume of greenwashing we're seeing from South African listed companies and the JC at the moment is mind boggling. And nothing happens. So, of course, they're going to do it again. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. I mean, these the fees, the, the, the fees that, that the NEDs are paid are stratospheric, but I, I, I struggle to understand on what basis they earn those fees. Tracy, I love the passion with which you discuss this topic. <laughs> no, don't apologize. I think it's fantastic. Uh -huh. I want to attend an AGM with you one day and then my buddy Anthony <laughs> Clark, Small Talk Daily. I think you and him would look at completely different sections of the report and you would both be equally furious and passionate about what you see. But it's, it's great. I, I wish there were more Tracys in the market and fewer people well, <laughs> who are just running around. I mean, you make the point about conflicts of interest. Absolutely. And it's not just here. There are four big audit firms in the whole world. The same four names over and over again. And, you know, it's not difficult to see where the problems, I mean, the whole, don't even get me started on the auditing profession. I won't make myself popular with certain professional bodies if yeah. I really start to talk about we need that. Another, so. We need another podcast for that one. Yeah, we'll have, <laughs> we'll have to leave that one where it is. And actually, as you point that out, we've been having so much fun that this is turning into one of our longest shows. Tracy, we can't just do one show with you. I mean, from my side, I guess, I just want to say, carry on doing what you're doing. Because I think you're looking at different stuff to what, you know, someone like I look at. But I take notice of the things that you say. I do. And I want to see more of that. And, you know, whatever platforms you can be given to get that voice out into the market. Because I get very angry about the stuff that I see in corporates. I've seen some really shocking things during my time in corporate finance. Uh, you know, other stuff that I've done. And it just, it, it really is just so poor. You know, people getting paid going away gifts when a whole lot of staff got retrenched. I, I won't even get started on that topic either because that'll also end badly. So I'm, I'm going to stop there, Mo, I'm, I'm, before I go on a tirade like Tracy because I feel much the same <laughs> way she does. So maybe you should finish the show with your cool, calm and collected voice there from, uh, from Canada, home of renewable energy and, and peace. Renewable energy and the same insider-outsider <laughs> dynamics. I mean, if, if you look here, I've said it so many times on the show, you know, you've got a small oligopolistic setup in so many industries here. You know, we get the headlines. You know, there are a couple of small families in Canada that control all of your retail kind of food and pharmaceuticals. You know, you've got the same small families or you've got like a grouping of four or five banks. So those insider-outsider dynamics, I would say, are part of this entire discussion around governance, around sustainability. Uh, Tracy, I think you're doing very important work. Uh, it's stuff that I think we need to showcase on, on Magic Markets a lot more. I'm going to go out on a limb there, Ghost, and say that I think from time to time we should actually have Tracy on highlighting what are some of the most shocking lapses in governance, ESG issues, 
in the South African or global markets. I mean, there's a whole nother show here. We can look at the world. I can give you examples of banking in the US or Canadian stocks. This is a systemic problem of how our, our corporations, how the financial architecture of the world is really set up. And if we're going to make a difference, uh, not just in our lifetimes, but certainly for our kids and going forward, uh, this is how I think we do it. So Tracy, thanks so much. This has been great. Uh, I'm going to go out on that limb. We're definitely going to have you back on a future show. And um, yeah, I think that's what we have time for today, Ghost. I've got one more point to leave Tracy with. So Mark Tobin, who was on the show a couple of, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the, the, the Irishman who analyzes Australian stocks and lives in Stellenbosch with his quote-unquote Bucky, um, who everyone everyone thought was lovely because he is fantastic. He, he and I spoke earlier today and I said that I was, uh, you know, that you were joining us on the show. And he said a thought to just, you know, leave with everyone is it doesn't help to benchmark against the average when the average is broken. So it doesn't help to benchmark director remuneration against an average that is wrong. And I think that's a exactly. very... I think it's a very powerful thought and uh, I'm grateful for the minds that we get to tap into on, on magic markets. Guys like Mark, ladies like you, thank you so much. And thank you so much, uh, yeah, Tracy, I hope you'll come back. I, I would, I would like Absolutely. that too. We'd love to. Thank you so much. Fantastic. Mo, that's it. That's been episode that's 32 it. of Magic Markets. Thank you both. That was really good fun. Thanks, guys. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.